Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Good and Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osher, wrap up their discussion on Article 27 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at a New Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osher. First try. All right. Nailed it. Yeah, we're, we are in our New Testament episode about Article 27 of the Augsburg Confession and its apology on monastic vows. We've had some interesting discussions the last couple of episodes, and yeah. now we get to wrap it up today. We, we came this close to having a fun little time talking about the Jews who made a, a vow to not eat or drink until they assassinated Paul yeah. on the journey from Jerusalem to Caesarea. I wonder if they starved to death. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always that question. is like, how seriously do you think they actually took that vow once their plans had been foiled? And, and once I, they ate, if they did, how bad did they feel? Not at all. You don't think so? Well, but... Th- it's like Jonathan eating the honey when uh, Saul, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the Old Testament. Yeah. It's, I guarantee, because this is the, the mode of sinful nature, is that we justify our actions when we fail. No. You know, it's, it's always what we do. Well, you it's, know, we were I, I tried my hardest. Yeah, Who's the theologian that predicted the end times all the time? To Harold specific, Camping. Yeah, and, yeah, Harold Camping, and then he was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then, then he's he, like, "Oh, but oh, shoot! Yeah, just a couple little tweaks in the math here. I, I made a mistake. I thought it was May twenty third. What yeah. I really meant was October twenty third. And then it just keeps going on and on. I, I, he was a great guy. He was most entertaining theologian of my childhood. Uh, well, I, I think I've told that story uh, on the air before. The yeah, initial they, date they that remember. Harry, yeah, the the initial date that Harold Camping picked." for the Christ's return was my day of graduation from seminary. Same day. Really? And I, I remember waking up that morning and the, the, the literal prayer I prayed is, God, I don't believe any of this nonsense, but just in case he's right, can I at least get my degree? <laughs> can I at least just complete the process? Just because if you return, I really want to present that yeah, to you, it's like a cat dragging a mouse to the foot of its master. Well, can you imagine going through eternity without closure? Yes. <laughs> but, but literally, when we were moving back from California, yeah. uh, there, were, there was van after van after van of his ministry heading out to the coast to enjoy the return of Christ in style. That's what they, they sold off everything wow. in the ministry. Wow. Everyone moved out there, and then Jesus didn't come back. I mean, look it up online. It's nuts. So how do they survive the next six months, you know? Uh, probably apologizing for their leader at that point in time, right? It's, yeah. it, at that point in time, the, the ministry's broken down. You've lost all credibility. And then when you're wrong for a second time, it, it ends up being quite literally a fool me once, shame on me, fool me, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me sort of thing. You're, you're only going to get duped so many times. Yeah. 
Vows. How do we get here? I was going to say, I, time to read the Harold, word. Yeah, Harold Camping. That's what three minutes Henderson's, in. That uh, was yeah. a good history lesson, though. I think all of our listeners will be happy to be Enriched. reminded of Harold Camping. Yeah. And I'm very thankful that you did get your seminary degree. And, As am I. Uh, yes. And uh, <laughs> and now you're doctor. Uh, yes, doctor. Get him. So. I have no important degrees, but I hope this episode airs yeah. You know, before Jesus, Jesus comes, comes back, back, just so I can really say. All that work we would have put into it for nothing. Exactly. <laughs> think about this. All right, we're reading Colossians 2, uh, 16 through 19. I'll read that for us here. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Here ends the reading for today. Amen. 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 All right, so why did we choose this passage to talk about uh, monastic vows and vows in general? Because it felt just a little bit more pious than doing a Bible study on the <laughs> Jews who wanted to assassinate Paul, and, uh, and maybe a little bit less uh, yeah. crass and unfair <laughs> Sure. <laughs> to those we disagree with. Oh, just a real brief, that passage, I don't know if we talked about how that passage connects to the vow. So the, the original thought with the what we had planned to do is that not all good vows have good results. And that was the Old Testament study with the Nazarite vow, which is prescribed in scripture in the, the Jewish liturgical rite. Uh, but Samson didn't, you know, pan out so great and all of that. And then the flip side of that was going to be the New Testament is not all vows are good just because they're vowed or vows made before God. And these Jews vowed before God that as a favor to God, they were going to kill Paul. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's how we're going to do it. And we'll probably weave that in and out. Sure. I, I think this is a more theologically grounded yeah, passage. Right. And right at the center of the oh, passage yeah, is where stuff. the meat and potatoes are. The sh- these are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Amen. And Adam, you had said this a few episodes ago in the episode 26 arc, is that with your life, you are either pointing to Christ or you're pointing to yourself. And that's where the assessment point of monasticism needs to happen. Now, my impression of this passage coming out of it with all the things that monasticism is involved with, especially the asceticism and everything else, is the way Paul describes it to the church in Colossae is that it is the flip side of Gnosticism. So that Gnosticism is something that says everything physical is bad and detrimental to the faith and only the spiritual things matter. So we're going to have secret hidden knowledge from God. We're going to deny everything external and... and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What asceticism does is in the same sort of error is it boils everything we have to do with God only to the physical, only to the physical expressions of our piety. And that's where that that's puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Mm. A, a sensuous mind is an overly physical thing, right? So that when we talk about sensuality, as uh, either, you know, uh, from the eyes of the world as a desirable thing or as an immoral sin, it's because we have overly distilled the act of love or the act of intimacy down to physicality. 
That's what monasticism does. That's mm. what this this. Yeah, it it seems like an ironic word to use. It is. Yeah. You really have to stop and think about yeah. it. But it is exactly the same thing as Gnosticism, but in the other direction. It distills everything we do in our faith down to what we are physically doing for God, and that's mm. to miss the point entirely because the substance belongs to Christ. Yeah, the, the case in missing the point. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the biography of every human that's ever lived. <laughs> the, I think it's interesting here, and I just made this connection to this monastic vow business. Um, this In this particular passage, it's talking about festivals, foods, drinks, celebrations, and, and those kinds of things. I think sometimes, and, and we have to be careful about this too, is our liturgies. Nope. can even become something like this. You know, that I have gone through this and it makes me feel good. Therefore, this must be the right thing for God. And in reality, those liturgies are to point us to the substance. Those liturgies, the the things that the festivals or the, you know, I, we, we, you know, recently, last month or whatever it would have been now as we, as we record this, the All Saints Day, right? Celebrations. I remember that being an incredible celebration when I was a pastor in Pittsburgh. I enjoyed that day. It reminded me of my loved ones who've got, and all of these things you sing for all the saints and you've got all these great songs and things. And sometimes we can get so caught up into the form that we forget the substance. And I think that there's a danger there too. Well, it's I'm, not really a vow thing, but I think it ties No, it, it isn't, ties but in. it fits in perfectly because you know, we've talked about the Christian deconstruction movement, right? The same thing is, it, this is not the case every time, and I want to be clear here, nuance, 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 but what we often see is that for Lutherans and people of more traditional denominations, the more they get wrapped up in the mere pageantry, mm-hmm. the more they move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not everyone, but but what I hear very common, very often refrain for Lutherans who have, quote unquote, swum the Tiber, right? Uh, <laughs> is that uh, what pulled them in is more festivals, more uh, ceremony, more quote-unquote liturgy to, to abuse the term, right? And it's, it, is, it is absolutely true that our liturgies, if we're not careful, will stop pointing us to Christ and stop being the thing or start being the thing unto themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't know this, Adam, but this, you basically described various circles of Christian Twitter. Where sometimes in good fun, we can argue about the liturgy, but there are real serious arguments like in the Missouri Synod, which divine service setting is the best? And, and the more people get actually angry about it, it's like, no, you guys are completely missing the point on this, right? Or, you know, any number of those things. The last one on Twitter as of recording this was the, the value of the um, communion response. This is the feast of victory for our God. That response. Uh, some people hate it. pitchy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I did my best acapella, okay? I, yes. It is an yes. acapella song. Yeah. You just get one pitch. Yeah. But anyway, you know, go ahead. But it's, you know, when we when we end up seriously you know, arguing about it in good fun, yeah. uh, yeah. it's, it's fine, you know. But when, when we get into it, if it actually becomes the superiority, inferiority matter, yeah. that's exactly right. what Article 27 is addressing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And lest our non-Lutheran listeners are thinking that we're imploding here, making fun of our own Lutheran heritage and some of our liturgies and structures, the same exact thing is true of low church 
things as well. I love the music. Ah, I can only go there because yep. I really love this kind of music. Um, oh, this just really makes me feel this way or that way or the other thing. And we get caught up in the shadows that detract from the substance. And I have multiple times by multiple people been told that our formal style of worship at faith, which is compared to the rest of the Lutheran spectrum, still very <laughs> low church. But I've been told that people just can't feel the spirit moving in my congregation. Mm-hmm. And it's if, if, if there is anything more arrogant you can say to someone uh, in, in judgmental, I would be hard pressed to find it, right? The, the, the people who prefer a contemporary setting of worship can be just as arrogant and just as snobbish about their piety as yeah, the, the yeah. formal liturgical right. traditional people can. Right. And, and so, you know, in this passage, it says a couple of times, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. So when you interact with people that maybe have that, that view that you're saying, Jason, uh, how, how are we to live according to what this passage is encouraging us to do? So the, as we, as with, with anything in Lutheran theology, it's to embrace the tension. Yep. Okay. On the one hand, we acknowledge the existence of adiaphora, and the freedom we have in that without allowing audiophora to mean we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, in whatever way we want it. Uh, on the other side of that coin is that we are gentle and loving to our neighbors as we disagree with things. Mm-hmm. So that we, we acknowledge that some people prefer different styles, but we also allow that conversation when opportunity presents itself to, to be one of catechetical in nature. What is your service teaching you? What is your style of worship communicating to the world? How is it causing you to hold fast to the head? Yeah. Right. Where do you see Christ? Yeah. And, and so that in certain elements, if we come to the worship service, the divine service, and it's all about who I am and what I am doing, that is to be gently and lovingly corrected and rebuked in favor of, no, we arrive at the service to receive the gifts that God has for us, and we respond in praise. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting uh, phrase in verse 19, and the the problem is they're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, I think the connection to the body of believers there as it stems from the head, right? As you're look, it, it always draws our eyes back to the substance of Christ. It always draws us back to, to him, causes us to cling to him. And as we function as a body, it's that connection together, that communion of saints in which the vocations that we're called to are played out, right? The body has a function. You know, the, the body is, is not a static thing, but a functional thing. And, and the service that, that it, it's not to just have a head. <laughs> Our bodies don't exist just because, hey, there's a head up there, right? Yeah. But our bodies have functions where we go out and to serve. And the whole idea here points us to Christ so that we can serve our neighbor. It's, it's that, that same theme we've been seeing again and again and again, that we, we are connected to Christ. We're holding fast to him. And we're, we're not clinging to, to promises that we've made or this or that so that we can be, but we look to, to his finished work so that we can horizontally love others. And that's, that's, that's the marker 
we plant in the ground right here for us to get our bearings at is that Christian monasticism, whether that's medieval Roman Catholic monasticism or modern uh, generic American moralistic therapeutic deism, Christian monasticism is always selfish. Hmm. Christian piety is always oriented towards Christ and towards our neighbor. And that's what verse 19 is saying, right? Is that a a faith grounded in Christ takes its life from the head, is oriented to what the head does, and then we are aware automatically of the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. And so that whatever role we're playing, we're aware of the tendons and the ligaments and the muscles and the organs and everything that builds the church as the body of Christ under the head of Christ. And, and it, I mean, it becomes, uh, back to that distinction of simple and not easy, it becomes a very simple measurement to say, is this thing selfish? Mm-hmm. If it is, it needs to be rejected. If it's done uh, because of Christ and in response to Christ and out of love for neighbor, then let's, let's walk through that and flesh that out, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting, too, when you say that, I, I want to be clear. We can do things that are right and good for neighbor and have the motivation of wanting to be seen by God. Yep. Interestingly enough, though, the neighbor still loved the neighbor still receives his, his, we were using the lawn mowing of the neighbor, right? Yeah. Still, you, you, the, the neighbor still gets his lawn mowed. We, we uh, you know, the, the neighbor is still loved. But then I'm, I'm brought back to that passage in when Christ talks about this. I think it's in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You, you know, if you go ahead, when you fast, do this. But if you do it for the wrong reasons, you've received your reward in full. Yep. Right. You, you can go ahead and do it, but it's it's really not, you know, for, for you, this is not right. Your neighbor still has a mowed lawn, but you are, are doing it for the wrong reasons. You're not you're not doing it for uh, be, because of what Christ has done for you. And, and, and that sets us up nicely to tie up the loose end in all of this. Melanchthon's big complaint at the beginning of Article 27 is that monastic vows in the Roman church had become equal to baptism. The answer to the monastic vows that we are prone to make in our own lives as Christians is our baptism. It's living in our baptism, which first is done out of repentance. So that everything we do as Christians is a life of repentance because of our baptism. So if we suffer and it's because of our own sin and stupidity, we repent and we're forgiven. If we suffer and it's at the hands of the sin and stupidity of someone else, we repent of our sins and we are reminded by the gospel that God doesn't put us on a sliding scale based either on our performance or on his perceived blessing. If we receive good, according to Romans 2, 4, we still repent so that we don't become prideful and puffed up thinking that we earned the blessing that God gives us. So that the act of the Christian is first and foremost to repent. So that if I'm fasting and proud of it, I need to repent. If I'm loving my neighbor and proud of it, I need to repent. And then in repenting, we continue to love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting that the antidote for what was going on in the church was the very thing that the church was trying to replace. The the Romans, whether they knew it or not, whether it was intentional or not, wanted a new and easier sacrament. And what Melanchthon rounds it back to is, no, this doesn't replace baptism. Baptism is good enough. 
You're a mm-hmm. child of God, not mm-hmm. because you act like a priest, a monk, or a nun. You're a child of God because you've been washed in the blood of Christ and adopted by God because you've been baptized. That's the whole conclusion to all of this is it comes back to our baptism. Hmm. Yeah, the, the substance belongs to Christ. Uh, exactly. That, that portion there in this text. Hmm. All right. Well, um, you know, as we start to land the plane on this whole discussion, any other, um, you mentioned tying up loose ends from, from this, uh, drawing it back to baptism and walking in the newness of life um, in Christ, um, any other loose ends related to vows, monastic vows, related to this passage? I think in the end, we go back to what we talked about in the first mm-hmm. episode in this particular series. And uh, if vows are a matter of our understanding and living out of the Ten Commandments, then it's to be embraced. Vows in and of themselves aren't bad. Yep. We want to take uh, the reputation of our neighbor and the seriousness of our word in line with the Eighth Commandment, along with everything else God says uh, in his law. But the moment we try to earn something, the, more, the moment we try to improve our standing before God, the moment we try to take our seat at the front banquet table instead of sit at the back banquet table like the parable Jesus tells, that's when we've lost the story. That's when we've got lost, like it says here in the shadows, like you brought up, Adam, and, and we've, we've, the substance belongs to Christ. So it, it, a good comparison for this would be Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Everything in life apart from Christ, is a vapor, Mm -hmm. a chasing after the wind, including monastic vows. As long as the substance belongs to Christ, Mm -hmm. then the content of the Christian life is to go out and love our neighbor. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. The Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary invites you to their campus in Plymouth, Minnesota for the 2023 Seminary Symposium. January 11th through the 13th, speakers will consider the influence of the early church fathers and the implications for the church today. To find more information at flbc.edu slash events. God bless you and have a great week.